Hi. Hi. Welcome to the show. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to our second podcast of 2013. Uh, uh, second Politictic Boom. Hmm. <laughs> and my guest today is Miss Jen Gursky, who is representative out of Missoula. Yes? Indeed I'm not losing my mind. Yeah. Cool. So, how have you been? Welcome to the show. Hey, thanks. Thanks. How have I been? You know, cold in Helena, snowstorm. I think it actually had a name. Gandalf, right? Storm Gandalf. Yeah, but it was spelled wrong. Yeah, I I actually wanted to call it Gustafsson or something like that. I'm like, I don't know. It had a name. So, yeah. I think that's weird. They're naming winter storms now. How bad are they? Well, we've given them names. We've given them names. Like they're going to be coming back for Christmas next year. It's a bad year. precedent. It's a bad precedent. Hurricanes. That's what deserves names. That's it. Yes. That's they it. don't call it Tornado Dicky. No. Right? Right? <laughs> <laughs> they just call them tornadoes. Mm. So you know what we're talking about. Yeah, so... Uh, uh, you got here right after the first of the year. I did. And uh, got settled in okay? Yeah, I think so. And then how has the session been treating you? You know, it's uh, it's the calm before the storm, I think. Really? I really do. I think um, I think that there's a lot of good things moving forward, and um, but it's, it's um, a little utopia. It's a little like nobody's really fighting yet. And not that I expect... Well, maybe I should retract. It's not that I expect that, but it's also not that I don't expect it. And so I think that anytime you talk about politics and you mix different ideologies in a room, we're going to have some disagreements and it just hasn't gotten there yet. So I'm hoping that the civility that I've seen kind of lasts throughout the session. Yeah. um, We just had Nick on the show last week, which was actually an hour ago. Right, right, right. (laughs) And uh, he was talking about, he kept saying it was like this big kumbaya session and everybody's being really nice. And I'm wondering how much of that is in in reaction to the last session and how much of it is just generally people actually want to get stuff done. Yeah. You know, I think that um, last session, I I would actually encourage us to take even just a little bit and look in 2009 when we had a 50-50 split. And then we had um, basically a super majority of Republicans a super minority is what I might call it of Democrats. And I think that, um, especially with a democratic governor on the second floor, I think that that induced a lot of, um, probably feelings of empowerment of getting certain agendas through and yet not really having that full power. So I think that it, it I think that we're coming out of this session looking at, first of all, what happened in 2009 is you really needed to work across the aisle because it was actually a 50, 50 split really had to work across the aisle to get some stuff through. Um, Last year, it was, there's just a lot of stuff vetoed. And this year, I think what we're going to try, this is my hope, I suppose, is um, that we get some really good legislation through because we're actually working on policy and not on politics. Um, But that might be, that might be naive. Um, (laughs) And it's the first two weeks, but uh, I I, I agree with Nick. It is the first two weeks, but I would like to point out that within, it was day three last year or last session when it blew up. Yeah. So it, it didn't take any time. It's not like they didn't hit the ground running with yeah. grenades. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see. I mean, I, I'm sure you read the Tribune. Um, there's obviously some things going on that not everybody is aware of. And, and, you know, that's just typical politics. So it'll be interesting. I know. Um, I want to know how they got those emails. I, I have no idea. Um, I don't know. I haven't talked to Chuck yet, but I, um, I really want to know how they got those yeah. emails. Yeah. I want to know who threw them under the bus. I have no idea. And I can't. <laughs> I have no idea. It was it was interesting and um yeah. I hope that we both as leaders internally in our caucus and leaders that have to work across the aisle can figure out really how to make and I know this sounds really cliche, but it's we just need good policy. 
to come out. Uh, we, we do have, have good policy. We have 90 days to do it. We don't have 90 days to fight. We got two years to fight, and that's what a campaign trail is for. Um, Montanans put us in here to produce results, whether we agree with them or not. Um, they put us in here to get some good results. And so I think it's, it is our job to really fine tooth comb, look at over our policies. Um, I think when you look at basic government functions, right, a bill becomes a law after a lot of strenuous fine tooth combs, you know? Well, one would hope. So what made you decide to run? Mm. Let's give people a little background on genders. Good question. That's a great question. Um, well, the Reader's Digest version. Reader's Digest um, version. Well, let's start with, okay, have you been in politics your entire life? No. Nope. So, but you were president of the student body at U of M. Right. Was I that was, your first foray into political leadership? Or? Um, I, I would say of, of substantial political leadership. I, I held the student senator position. Mm. Um, and that was actually my first. I decided to run. And, you know, I don't actually remember what sparked my interest in running for Senate other than um, there were some policies. And I don't even remember what the policies were other than the day I decided to file to be a senator. I was like, wait a minute, why are we voting on this? And I'm sure it had to do with some funding for a building that I didn't think students should pass through, but um, ran for senator and then actually got hired by the students to lobby as a student lobbyist on behalf of higher education last session in 2011. Mm. So got to see that session a little bit in action, tried to get through, (laughs) (laughs) tried to get through that bonding bill. I think that that was kind of one of our top bills of the session and, and it failed and it failed, I think six or seven votes in the final vote. Um, so even in a session like that, it had some real promising feet under it, have you? And, um, yeah, was asked to run said no a couple of times, really wanted to get a career under, because I'm a not, I was a non-traditional student at the University of Montana, left um, a pretty decent job and um, actually did some overseas stuff before I went to school and kind of was looking forward to getting in really into a career and um, was asked to run and I finally decided to do it. So what did you go to school for? I have a degree in political science. Hmm. Hmm. My first, my first soiree in higher education, though, was as a vocal performance major. Oh, really? Yeah. So I have a couple of years. At U of M? No, in Where? Powell, Wyoming. Really? Right, right south of Billings, Montana. That's cool. What so area of vocal school? performance? I asked because I studied opera for a while. Oh, you did? Mm-hmm. That's wonderful. Well, I was just my first two years in. Hmm. So I did a lot of vocal jazz, a little bit of opera, but it wasn't my thing. But I really liked vocal jazz. Very so, cool. Yeah. And then you just decided to go for political science. Well, there was a stopgap in between there. As I mentioned, I was a non-traditional student. So actually, I stopped school, went up to Polson to become um, a youth pastor, worked in a hospital there, and then started doing some overseas mission work. And then it was in basically in Southeast Asia being confronted with some pretty significant social problems that I, I knew that I needed a more formal education. So then I went to the University of Montana. So that kind of fills in all those gaps. Very cool. Yeah. So now you have a degree in political science and they threw you right into the oven. Right? right? (laughs) Trial by fire. Exactly. And we set it to broil. (laughs) (laughs) And so I guess... It being an, well, let's go back to education being one of those things that always comes up in the in the sure. uh, legislature. Are you on education? I'm what not. committees are you? I'm on? on judiciary and human services. Oh, okay, cool, good places yeah. to be. Yeah. Um, but let's go back to education, sure. even though you're not on the committee. I'm, you know, having just finished your degree and having dealt with it as an adult and a non-traditional student, how is it that uh, you know? How do you see? What am I trying to ask? You know, if I could use my words, I'd be dangerous. <laughs> <laughs> um. 
How do you see the the political infighting that happens around education? How do you see us being able to resolve that, or can we? You know, because hmm. we have we have a lot of you know everybody says that education obviously well, everybody says pays lip service to education is the way we're going to improve our world. Right. You know, right. I happen to believe it, but other people say it, and then they do things to destroy sure. education, and not just in you know the legislature obviously has responsibility for K through twelve, and then they fund the. Um, the university is funded, right. obviously, but then the Board of Regents has control over that, which that's a whole other area that I'd like to remove. But um, how do you see what happens when in the legislature directly affect what you what you were trying to do as a student? You know, is it is it easier to come at it as a non traditional student and go, no, 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 this is actually not the case, or did you have a, a worse time when you were a lobbyist? Um, and are you referring to K twelve? Are you referring to higher ed or both? Really, education in general, the philosophy general. of free public education. Um, you know, both my parents are teachers, so mm. that's a full disclosure. <laughs> uh, they taught in Renan for about twenty years and then moved to Western Washington, and they're still teaching. So both classroom teachers, middle school teachers. So I come from it from a perspective of having not only started school when I was twenty six or twenty seven. Um, but also having two educators that kind of formed my opinions. So that's a full disclosure of how I contextualize things. Um, as far as infighting and I, I guess I might need you to narrow down the question a little bit, but as far, as far as I think you said infighting around education well, and how we get to solution point. Well, yeah, because one of the things that happens is we have, you know, the funding is always an issue. They're like, how much money do we have to pour into mm. education? And my take is as much as we can. You know, education is the last thing that we should cut. Education should be cut last. Police and fire are the the next two that should be cut last. Um, Cut everything else first. I'm sorry. It's just education. Education is the base for everything else being good in somebody's life. If they can figure out how to do it, it's because they've been taught to figure it out. Okay. Um, So we run into these issues where people are uh, trying to cut funding for education because they don't believe in a certain philosophy that's being touted right now. And instead of attacking the philosophy they just attack the funding sure you know so that's well, that's what i see because but. funding is where you put your values right and i guess my response would be that you can't silo just education and, and certainly you cannot silo just funding um when a kid comes to school um and is probably on the borderline of neglect um has some hunger issues is below the poverty line there's a lot of issues there that that affect how that child learns in the classroom. So while we can dump money into education, I mean, it's a totally different issue. If we can't solve some of the the issues of how our kids arrive at school, whether they have a breakfast, whether they have a lunch, whether they have a stable family environment, if it's a societal issue. And, and education can't just be siloed. And I think that a lot of us would like to frame it in a way of let's just dump money in it. Um, and certainly I'm an advocate of making sure that our classrooms are high tech, that they're ready to produce students that can actually compete at a collegiate level. Um, and if those students don't want to go to a post-secondary education, that they can at least compete um, with skills that our markets are demanding right now. Absolutely do we need funding for that. However, if we can't provide for the basics of when a kid comes to school, I just... I, I would be leery of siloing that question and making it purely an educational component. When we don't fund um, protections for um, children that are suffering child abuse, when we don't fund basic nutritional programs, I think in 2011 there was 
And there was a lot of movement to say no to federal funding for SNAP program, which if we know anything about federal funding, what that SNAP is like food stamps. Oh, okay. Um, uh, if we know anything about federal funding, that has already been allocated or appropriated. So it would just go to another state like Mississippi. And so what we're doing in an ideology that says, let's, you know, bring about quote unquote fiscal responsibility. I, I lack to see the responsibility in really being, um, striving to be diligent to provide an environment for our kids to actually learn in the classroom. And I know that that got a little ethereal, but I, no, that's exactly what I was looking for. <laughs> okay, okay. So to me, it is actually more of a philosophy on on what we think good governance is. You know, when I when I look at good governance, yeah, it is going to be a stewardship of the resources that Montanans have entrusted us with, um, and that's a really good way to say how we spend our tax dollars. But really, it's a stewardship and it's entrust. And I think that um, our founders said government is for the common good and we put in money in a pot so we can make sure that everybody has a fair chance now fair is not necessarily equal and i get that but i do think that everybody born as a citizen in the united states needs a fair chance well i think everybody who's a citizen regardless of whether they were born here or not this is true yeah this is true I tend to be one of those liberal people. <laughs> well, I agree with that, so thank you for the correction. In my family, in my family, it's always odd because we have these arguments, and, and at the end of the day, we find out we're not that far apart. Yeah. But the philosophy of how you get there, the road that you're going to travel to get there, is is sometimes com- considerably different. And education is one of those areas where I think, um, like, I don't function well in a traditional education. And I, it's funny because I work with so many colleges and I teach mm. so often because I'm I'm showing people how to do something and how to think about how something works so that they can figure it out later if something goes wrong. Because, you know, every piece of equipment that we use is, you know, touchy. <laughs> it's a really nice way. It's a really nice way to put it. They're touchy, sensitive, little crybaby things. And um, things go wrong. And you have to you have to be able to think around how all the pieces interconnect and, and how they work. And um, it's a hands-on learning thing, but I've talked to some of the students that I've worked with you know, over the last couple of years, and they got more out of the education with me because I made them think about how something connects to something mm-hmm. else. Mm-hmm. And you know, if one piece breaks, how do you work around that? This is now your roadblock. How do you fix it? How do you, sure. you know, what can you do? And um, those, that thinking is very important to me. It's it's how I do my job. It's how I do, run my life. And and it's funny to see these kids that they've never had that in college. And I'm like, what are you learning? Yeah. But then I look back on my college and I'm like, well, of course, they're learning exactly what I learned in college, which is none of this stuff. Right. And which makes me crazy. But that's my own particular complaint with modern education. I still see value in modern education because there's plenty of other things that you need to learn. There's the theories that go behind all of the stuff that I do mm-hmm. that I'm not going to teach. You have to learn those theories from people who are teaching those theories. But that's because I don't want to teach theory. <laughs> not because it's not useful to know. Right. You know, I had to, when I, you know, anyway, enough about me. <laughs> anyway, so uh, you ended up back at school. You were a student body president and you were a lobbyist. That's going to be fun. Yeah, I, I was a lobbyist first and then ran for president. Oh, okay. So they were not concurrent. Oh, okay. I thought they were at the same time. I'm like, ooh, that's going to be a nightmare. Trip. Yeah. So how was it being student body president and having to interface with? Because you've got the student senate and you've got the administration that you deal with. Plus, mm-hmm. plus don't you deal with the Board of Regents? Mm-hmm. Mm, how was mm-hmm. that? Yeah. Uh, yeah, I was also the Montana Associated Students president. So um, helped lead that program um, in our discussions with the regents. Um, you know, it's a, it's a balancing act. And I think that when we talk about trial by fire here in Helena, mm-hmm. the year that I served as a student body president, trying to facilitate and be a conduit of, of conversations between 
our students at large, our student senate, our administration, um, and then our governing body, the the Montana Board of Regents. Um, it was a lot about how do we how do we look at results and how do we attain them, knowing that we have some bureaucratic steps to get through. Some, some, <laughs> some indeed, and I, you know I'm not going to use bureaucracy as a dirty word um, because it is what runs our government, but it is. Um, there are a lot of steps that you need to navigate and I identify how to do that. Right. So now that you've done that, do you feel you're prepared for this? Oh, I I think that that might be jumping, hop, skip and a jump further than prepared. (laughs) Um, no, I don't, I don't feel prepared to, um, well, let me backtrack. I, I think that I have the skills to do, but I'm certainly not experienced. And I think as you were talking about the theoretics versus the practical, I think the theoretics is what gives us the skill and then we actually have to put it into practice. And I, I don't think that you're a complete, I mean, there's a reason that we call a degree a master's degree, right? Because mm-hmm. you went through an undergrad that gave you three theoretics. And theoretically, you're supposed to go put that into a practice a little bit and then go get a master's degree. And um, I would say that I'm at the skill attaining level. And hopefully by the end of the session, I have enough to say, okay, I can actually, I can actually be a functioning member of this body. <laughs> okay. So, so you went back to school for political science, but did you think you were going to do like policy work? Oh or God, no. What did you, th- did, did you want to become a politician? I no, I had no, I had, this was not on my radar at all. So what were you going to do? Um, well, when I was in Southeast Asia, I was working on labor trafficking and sex trafficking issues. Mm-hmm. And so what I really wanted to do, I actually, I have a minor in international development. And at the time, um, political science at the university of Montana was one of the core uh, major programs that I could link up with an international development. If they had an international development major, I would have done that instead. Oh. Studied Chinese as a second language. Um, because Mandarin? Or? Mandarin. Hmm. And have lost most of it after a couple of years of study and then a couple of years of not studying it. Um, but realized that Chinese was the second language in Southeast Asia it's, or the business language and English was not. So I'm like, well, you know, here I am 26, never studied a second language. I'm like, let's do Mandarin. That sounds like a successful game plan. Um, How'd it go? It, it was, it was, I am now a very strong proponent of learning a second language at the age of five. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I don't even care what language it is. Just learn something else. Make your kids learn a different language so that they can tap into that brain when they're older and determine what language they want to learn. But I was planning on uh, getting my poli sci degree going into uh, law school and working on international policies around trafficking issues. Hmm. Are you still uh, planning on going to law school? We'll see. After after dealing with making law, you might want nothing to do we'll with see. it. We'll see. It was actually quite a compliment. One of my um, co-legislators, so when did you graduate law school? And I'm like, oh, that's flattery. No, I've not gone to law school, but thank you. Wow. So Nice. Yeah, we'll see. So, okay, so you're on this path that you never thought you'd be on. And how has it been so far? It's a kick in the pants. Um, a, a mentor said about in the first month of the presidency at the University of Montana that politics is intoxicating. And I think that that's proven true. I think when you get into the process and you get into, okay, how do we make this better? For instance, my first bill was up in committee, had a couple of amendments on it. And the thing is, is that we've got to like walk into policymaking politics, um, and I mean, I could become more ethereal and say life in general, but basically <laughs> I love the voice <laughs> life in general. Yeah. Um, 
and it was amended. And one of them was, you know, after con- conversation about this bill, and one of them was um, from the other side. A Republican said, you know, I really think, and I think they made the bill better. And so it's when we're open to correction that I think I have this quote that I think healthy conflict produce results. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what politics is all about. And so yeah, if so, it's healthy, healthy, if it's healthy, there's, right? There's you, the qualifier, but that's you also there. have to be looking at the result. And if you're just like fighting to find, just like get out of my face, like you and I are not going to get along. But if you want to have a decent argument about ideology that makes us go somewhere mm-hmm. or about the, the nitty gritty of policymaking, yeah, let's have that conversation. And you and I are not going to agree on everything, but I think that that's what makes things policy better. So that process is absolutely intoxicating to me. Very you cool. know, how we, how we, how somebody, you know, like your previous guest and I can work together right now. I'm working on some legislation on uh, human trafficking with yeah, Sarah. I was, was going to bring that up because Sarah is Jeff's daughter. Yeah. And Jeff is not a political friend of the left. At of the all. left. Yeah. Um, but she seems to be um, far more well-adjusted. That's my nice way of putting it. Um, you know, she has obviously, I mean, she's from the other side of the aisle and a lot of her votes reflect that. But um, our conversation, um, even around some of the issues that were in judiciary this week, have been very, how do we how do we meet common ground? And, and we're not going to always meet common ground. I mean, it would be very naive for me to say conflict always produces revol- results. No, it's just that it does always produce a result, just that sometimes <laughs> that result can't be codified. <laughs> <laughs> this is true. This is true. I you know, I think um, yeah, I, I don't know. I, yeah, I, I derailed your train of thought. Sorry. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> no, you're working on the the bill with Sarah, and I. So that was the. It's funny because I was on vacation. I was in Vegas, and I really wasn't paying attention to anything. But I happened to log into Twitter because I was needing a break from the book I was reading because it was really intense. And um, so I logged into Twitter for a minute, and I happened to see Bryce Bennett tweet about you working with Sarah Lasloffy, mm. and I was like, Did I miss something? <laughs> Has the universe torn open and and so then i clicked and i read the article on the buildings and i was like oh this seems like a good bill and i'm still kind of shocked that yeah she's supporting it yeah um but you know after after all that said and done i was like okay well that's great it looks like this legislature is off to a much better start than the last one because mm-hmm. you know two people who in most cases would be completely on opposite sides mm-hmm. and have a real tough time finding any common ground Yeah, have not only decided to stand up together, but are doing it very publicly. And yeah. I, I thought, well, that's cool. Yeah. So I think it's interesting. I, I hope your bill passes. I, I, mean, I hope that it's easy enough legislation that not by easy, but I mean, bipartisan enough legislation that that rings true for some other things. I think it's really easy to coalesce around human trafficking. Right. And, you know, and I hope that that, uh, I hope that that's some building blocks for some relationship building. And I think that when we look at causalities of the issues, I mean, we look at the right and left, look at the causality of the issues and then changes how we proceed to solutions. But we're all looking, we all see the issues and we all see solutions, but the process and the causality, I think are are some of the things that we differ on. And so if we can get past 
I think that, you know, Sarah probably sees some causality in human trafficking and sexual violence and et cetera, a little differently than I do. And then, which means that we're going to come up with a different path to solutions. So if we can get past that and find the commonality, okay, we both agree that sexual and domestic violence is a problem, that human trafficking is a problem. And here's what we think the end result should be. How do we find some common ground in presenting some legislation that fixes that? And um, if we, if we can present that as a model for, even if it's just future legislation that she and I can work on, I'm not, I'm not preponderous enough to say that the whole party should do that. <laughs> what I am saying is if I can build enough relationship with her, then, you know, and this is, we're both freshmen and hopefully we get into office a couple of more times and we're able to work on some more significant issues with that same methodology. That'd be nice. It'd be nice. It'd be nice if everybody else adopted that sort of, you know, go find somebody on the other side that you won't necessarily agree with and work with them on a bill. Well, yeah, but was it Linda McCullough? And she's like, go find somebody on the other side of the aisle and hug them during our, like, orientation or something. And I'm like... That's Linda. I love Linda. Yeah, I know, right? I'm like, what grade did you teach? (laughs) So, yeah, it was pretty fantastic. She's a librarian. (laughs) That's awesome. So, okay, so you've you've already gotten your uh, feet wet, probably... Well, a lot deeper than yeah, you There's expected. a lot of snow out there. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I wasn't talking about the snow. I went <laughs> up at the Capitol. And um, have you run into situations, you know, what are the conflict bills that you see coming up, I guess? The ones that either the other side is putting forward that you're just going, wow. Well, I think that that there's a few, I mean, you know, there's a few that I'm watching as far as the issues that I'm concerned about. There's a few that I'm watching based upon the committees that I sit on and then more broad scope. What Um, committees are you on? Judiciary and Human Services. Uh, okay, so Human Services is going to cover... So Human Services, anything health, health and Human Services. So, like, we had some um, policy regarding child abuse. Um, we're going to have some policy we're prob- probably regarding some senior care, um, anything to do with Medicaid, um, yeah, Health and Human Services. It's a wide swath. And then Judiciary is, I mean... Corrections, Office of Public Defender, um, basic social policy law. So we had in our committee a bill pertaining to sanctuary cities, which is kind of um, an immigration slash undocumented um, immigrant bill. Um, And then we had something that was framed as um, protecting pregnant women, but the other side thinks that it's more of a, you know, an attack on abortion rights. So those are the kind of things that we see in judiciary. Mm. Um, so those fun. are, yeah, way fun. And <laughs> I asked for it. Um, uh, and you got it. Yeah, I got it. Yay. <laughs> Pom poms out. Um, <laughs> and I think it's going to be a really interesting committee. I think, um, I think that the most important part is that, you know, there's a reason that we have two sides of the aisle. We represent all of Montana and mm-hmm. we have pockets of folks that need representation. And um, so I, I know as a very, very minority on both of those committees that we're going to lose a lot of bills. But it's about how we how we bring up some of the arguments um, a, a, around some bills. We're going to lose a lot of the bills that we propose and they're going to win a lot of the bills that they propose. And and how do we get the message out to Montanans um, if we think that these are actually seeking solutions? So I think a lot of the work on those two committees is just going to be about um, being able to articulate your argument in a way that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, I think some other big legislation or some big things that we need to look at are actually um, the discrepancies between a proposed budget and the, and the Bullock budget. 
I think, um, oh, governor. but they're only 1% off. 62 million bucks. <laughs> right. Um, yeah, that's, I mean, that's a major component. Um, I know that what's being proposed right now is, um, that we don't allow any present law adjustments. And so for a quick recap for our audience, present law adjustment is basically the inflationary index from last biennium's budget. So I give you a hundred thousand dollars to do some program. And in over the course of two years, inflation was 0.1%. Then we would increase because then that keeps you at status quo levels. Right. Well, so what has been suggested is that we don't give any status quo adjustment. So it tightens up budgets. Well, the problem with that is that in the last biennium, not only did we not give a present law adjustment, but we also slash budgets by right. five to 10%. So we're looking at a close to 10 to 15% budget cut in the last from the last biennium and now this biennium and over a four year period, over That's a four year period. Harsh. And so I think we're going to see a lot of, a lot of threats. I, as we continue to talk about the budget, we're going to see a lot of threats to status quo service levels. And when I say status quo service levels to, to wrap this conversation back around, we're talking about hungry kids going to a kindergarten classroom. So what are we going to do about that? So I think that that's a major concern. I think additionally, um, I think a proposal that Governor Bullock has put out is the $400 rebate to property owners. Um, and I think, I really think that that's a good policy because what it does is it gives property owners the $400, which we strongly believe are probably going to be spent right on Main Street. So you're going to go out buy a couch. You're going to take, you know, your family out to dinner, et cetera, et cetera. And so it localizes that basically an economy boost with what, and I have some differences of opinions of how we got uh, revenue so high <laughs> from so our last lost. biennium. But well, yeah, we got it because we didn't spend it on programs that needed to. We did, we did it because we did it across the board, five to ten percent cut. And I think that's where we need to be filtering the money. But I also know that a four hundred dollar uh, property rebate is only about a hundred million of that. Um, and I think it actually does help middle class Montana families. So I think that that's a good start. I think that there's going to be a lot up on education policy, charter schools versus how do we how do we provide public good education, quality education. I think that there's going to be a lot up on social services, um, you know, Meals on Wheels, uh, SNAP or food stamp programs. Mm-hmm. Um, I think another big one is going to be this um, um, Access Health Montana um, do we choose to insure 60,000 Montanans? Do we choose to build our economy by 14,000 jobs? And I'm getting really wonky here, but, um, that's what the show's about. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So <laughs> I, you know, I think that there's, <laughs> I think there's a lot of federal subsidies that we take as far as transportation, um, farm subsidies, ag- subsidies, and the fact that we're even thinking of turning away a program that the feds will pay at 90% pours in about $4 million of income that's taxable and 14,000 jobs in Montana um, is a little ludicrous that we're even contemplating. Arizona, I mean, Jan Brewer just put it through, so... Exactly. I mean, can we Ta-da. just talk about that for a minute? Yeah, yeah if the right-wing nuts have decided that it's a good thing, eh, maybe we ought to look at it. It's a good thing know. for our state. It's a, it's a darn good thing for our state. Mm, well Almost then. slipped there. Almost slipped. Hmm. What, and swore? Yeah, almost. Ah, I know. (laughs) It's my show. We're not on the radio. It'll be fine. (laughs) Um, So I I think that's great. And you come into it with, this is the whole going back to college thing. Sure. I I think anybody who goes back to college is, um, one, very brave, and two, probably knows exactly what they want to get out of their education and can step in and do some things that you... 
I honestly believe when you're 19, when you go to college for the first time, you just can't make mm-hmm. those decisions. Mm-hmm. You don't have the experience of the world that you need. And so you went back, you got this education, and, you, and now you're stepping out, and it's not, you know, I don't think anything that you're running up against is completely unexpected, are you? No. No. So you're just approaching it. It's like, ta-da, got it. Yeah. Well, I I don't know that I'd say I got it. But I, you know, somebody asked me, I was actually with, um, there was a dentist reception last night and I sat at a table um, with some folks that I hadn't met before, which means that they're from the other side of the aisle. And we chatted and he goes, so what has surprised you the most in the last couple of weeks? And I'm like, I'm not sure that anything hasn't, has surprised me. You know, I kind of expected this. Um, Asked him, in your first year, what surprised you? And he said, well, I hadn't had any experience with this because we talked about our history and stuff. Um, but, you know, I definitely reserved the option to tell him <laughs> what surprises me as we get into the actual nitty gritty of policymaking. And I think that there's going to be a lot of surprising votes. I think that we're going to have a lot of interesting agendas put forth. Um, and I think I think probably eventually when we get things near and dear to our heart that costs a lot, I think... I'm hoping that there isn't this, but a lack of civility around issues, I think, will be pretty surprising to me. So I guess I'm kind of the, I'm going to full disclosure here, I'm kind of like the half glass full girl. I'm like, expect the worst, because then you can only go up. So I'm expecting a 2011 session. Do you see the glass half full or half empty? I just see it as dirty. Something's (laughs) going to have to clean it. You have to wash that now. Exactly. Finish your food. I got things to do. (laughs) So, um... What is it, uh, other than the bill that you've got with Sarah, what is it that you're hoping to get passed? Um, I'm working on, um, I'm working on some stuff with some students. Uh, the current ASUM president, uh, proposed some stuff last year at the Montana board of regents on some performance building standards. It's basically something that they proposed to the regents that said, Hey, if a certain uh, department within MUS saves money on energy, then they get to basically capture that and be able to use it for program. So it was a carrot incentive to work within the system. Hmm. Um, the regions, which would maybe make the engineering students at MSU put up a wind farm. Well, you know, <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. Did I step in potentially, something? Potentially, potentially. Yeah. But, you Ruined know, parachute. actually, <laughs> what I really think it does is it actually provides some private business models to work within government. Mm-hmm. And so what we're doing is incentivizing um, based upon things and mechanisms that you have control over. So the students um, came to me and said, you know, we really want to try this on a statewide you know, we think it's working um, or we think that we have the mechanics for it to work on the system wide. So I have a bill right now um, kind of tweaking some of those high performance building and how we deal with the accounting of if you as let's just say you are DPHHS and you save you have a hundred. Oh, it's more than that. So like, let's say you have a five hundred thousand dollar budget for energy and you are able to save ten thousand dollars. That would generally just go back into like a general fund or a general blah, blah, blah. So what we're saying is how do we audit that, say, because of the measures that you took, you saved energy, and how do we incentivize for you to continue that behavior? Basically, it's a behavior modification plan, but (laughs) that's the education side of me, but um, (laughs) behavior modification of state agencies um, and just say, how, how can we use that fund to then incentivize you to actually retrofit all of your windows and actually lower um, over the long haul, our utility costs. And the students have been doing a great job on talking to all of the agencies um, that would have kind of their fingers in this pie. Um, and then also getting outside stakeholders involved with this. So um, it's been a good policy. I think it's, 
you know, to use the buzzword, it's government efficiency, but it, um, <laughs> <laughs> that's that frame, right? Um, yeah. That's so awesome. that's a really great bill I've been working on and, um, have some other things, have a, you know, the human trafficking one, of course, have some other things with, um, education. I just had a, um, a bill come out of committee on mandatory reporters of child abuse. So hopefully that passes a floor vote. So yeah, that'd be nice. Yeah. Yeah. It'd be Very great. Cool. Yeah. So what are the bills you're dreading? The bills that I'm dreading. Um, obviously as a Democrat, I'm, I'm very thankful that we have Steve on the second floor. Um, so yeah, there's some bills that I'm dreading and not that we should, um, give too much weight for dreaded bills on a veto pen. Um, we need to do our due diligence, but there's some bills that I think would, um, really threaten the integrity of Montana's clean water, clean air. Um, I think that there's a lot of buzzwords around, um, repealing MEPA, which is the Montana environmental protection. And, um, I think right now it's about being able to provide the future generation that I want to see the same growing up. And I know that this sounds really political, but I really strongly in my heart just is like, I want my nieces and nephews, my future kids. Cause you know, don't have any right now, but grew up on the shores of Flathead Lake. I want them to be able to have that. And I, I just, we need to protect the integrity of Montana's air, water. Um, I, those are some of the ones I'm fearing, um, which is interesting because I'm like, put me on judiciary, put somebody smarter on natural resources. Mm. Um, so, yeah, and obviously some of the things that threaten us um, or that we we fail to protect. I think we've stand we've stood kind of moot on um, repealing the criminal acts around LGBT community. I think that we've st- stood pretty mute on. I think so far, um, being able to provide resources for, um, the agencies that protect our kids. Um, so are there ones that I'm fearing? Yeah, but I'm actually more fearing about the things that we don't do and that we don't protect. Um, again, I'm not fearing the immigration bill and the abortion bill that we had this week. It's not necessarily that I fear those. Um, but I get frustrated that we're still having that, some of those conversations. So that's a very nice way to put it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Maybe I did pick the right line of work. I don't know. Uh, yeah, you, you know, I, it's funny because I, I talk to a lot of people uh, in politics and I grew up in Helena, which is as much as it would like to be anything else, it is a very political town. Mm. And it's very much, uh, you know, you kind of know what's going on with the legislature and you kind of get a feel of how it's going to be. And this year doesn't feel like last session at all. Right. Um, which is nice because last session was charged from the get-go. But I still think there are some of these bills in play that are just disasters waiting to happen. And um, and they're being promoted by people who don't have the best yeah. interests of Montana or Montanans at heart. They have some ideological desire that is nuts. Nuts. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, I, I worry that, you know, you're going to get worn down. I worry for all of our legislators on both, legislators on both sides of the aisle because... At some point, you're going to get worn down by the stupid. <laughs> you know, we have some really good folks on the other side of the aisle, and I think that there's a lot of opportunities to make partners on the other side of the aisle. We have some, we have some folks that um, maybe aren't so charged by Alec, and maybe um, don't really agree with what happened with American Tradition Partnership. Um, we have good folks that are Republicans, and I think that's the one thing that um, I think our side is a still a little shell shocked from last session. 
um, little PTSD, you know? Um, and, and I would hope that we can get over the lump of dealing with folks in an aggregate in the same sphere as we dealt with it last session. I think that there's some movement that we need to make. And I think that there's a lot of olive branches coming um, from leadership on the other side of the aisle. Um, I think our committees are run a heck of a lot better this year than they were last year um, or last session. I should say, uh, I think that it there's feels a lot. Like it was just last year. Trust me. I'm, I'm yeah. Sure. It yeah, felt kind of circus ish last yeah, year. Um, last session. It's last session. Yeah. I keep saying last year. It was so close. Um, <laughs> it yeah. feels like it hasn't been far enough away. Right, right. Yeah. And then you see some folks and I think, you know, I think even our freshmen that felt that I think learned some things and they're walking away from that last session saying, how can we make this session different? And I'm not saying like Pollyanna, like let's all just get along and sing kumbaya, like, you know, like what Nick said over, you know, fire and roast marshmallows. That's not going to happen. And we get that. We get that we're going to have conflict, but how do we have healthy conflict? And right. I think that's, that's what I'm kind of more seeing this session. And, um, I hope that that rings true on day 80 as it does on, you know, what it was today, day 11. So <laughs> I love that you guys have, a, you know, it's day 11, it's day 12. What day is it today? Monday. That's what, uh, <laughs> Monday. Monday. No, we, we need a more strict measuring mechanism. <laughs> we are the government. Thank you. <laughs> It's still arbitrary. It's, it's how many times has the Earth rotated around its bent axis? Well, <laughs> once. Once. <laughs> so that's delightful. So, uh, what about the socializing aspect of of what's you know how's that going? The socializing aspect. Yeah, because okay, so Schweitzer made the crack two years ago, right before the, the legislature came in, that you know the alcohol sales in Helena go through the roof, but the legislature's here, as if the legislators were the only ones drinking. I would like to point out, most of the people in town start drinking at that point because the legislature's here. Or how many how many lobbyists do you have come into town? Oh, billions, and they spend money like it's water. Yeah, it's amazing. But yeah, no, um, and I just think it's funny because it was like you know alcohol is you know there's the part of our society where everybody goes. Alcohol is wrong, and we, and we do have a problem with DUIs, and um, but we also have a problem with you know just how we deal with people who want to have a drink. <laughs> you know, I'd mm-hmm. like to just have a drink, leave mm-hmm. me alone. Um, but the social aspects of the legislature have always been funny because Jor- Jorgensen's is the for people who aren't in Helena, it's the the hotel that's actually you know it's just down the hill from the Capitol, and they have a great bar in there. They remodeled it about six years ago, and it's really nice and fairly big. And it's funny because you can go in there any night when the legislature's in town and you'll see legislators from both sides of the aisle having a beer, having a chat Mm -hmm. about what's going on. And I always thought that was interesting because I thought the best part of their socializing was actually the best part of finding out what they actually needed to know because it wasn't a formal setting, but they could actually talk to somebody on the other side. How's that working out for you? Um, or is it working that way still? Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. You know, when you're sitting on the floor session, it's not the time to chat with somebody who you think might have issues with your bill. It's not the time. You don't have you don't have the time. Um, and it's not quality. And so a lot of these events that host for, you know, folks to get to know their constituency groups or, you know, like like I mentioned, I think the Dennis Association had a thing last night and I was able to sit with Republicans and chat about families and chat about, um, you know, what their experience was at the legislature. When I I know when I need to move something, I have at least some sort of foundation. Um, It's yeah, yeah. it's, it's good. And I actually think that that's where a lot of relationship is built. You know, a lot of the things, um, I was talking to some students and I'm like, money is not actually money in politics. Information is money. And so I think that's what brings to light. Um, you just, for somebody who is absolutely fresh on this scene, 
how do you feel? What do you think is going to go on? Why did that vote happen that way? Talk to me about your insight. Those are the conversations that happen over a pint of micro-brewed beer. Yes. Isn't there a (laughs) micro-brewed law coming up this year? Well, there's a couple of them. There's a couple of them. If they aren't the good ones, they need to go away. Yeah, right? The good ones. Here's what I don't understand. We have a bunch of people that are talking about, we need to improve jobs in Montana. Okay. Then don't have... Don't have bills that restrict how much a microbrew can make. Right. Well, yeah. They're a successful business in the state. Let them be as successful as possible because we're going to tax that success. Yeah. (laughs) And they're going to hire people. One of the booming industries in Montana. So we definitely need to make some space for that. Have you seen the beer map? No. I'll, I'll see if I can find it and put in the link to the show notes, everybody. The show notes can be found at politicticboom.com forward slash Jengerski. Um, the beer map is the per capita uh, population of a state versus the number of microbreweries in it. Okay. And we're in like the, we're the tops. Montana right. is the tops. Oh, I believe got. that. And, and, I believe that. You know, and everybody's like, well, well, why is it that you, you know, you have you, your problem is with all the DUIs. I'm like, no, the problem is that we don't have enough bars next to where people can walk. <laughs> <laughs> That's a Butte, nice pivot. <laughs> well, it's true. I mean, Butte has a lower number of DUIs than anywhere else in the state, and they have the highest alcohol consumption in mm. the state. And why? It's because you can walk to the bar. It's at the corner of your neighborhood. Yeah. It's like, that's where the bars should yeah. be. That's why they used to call them I ah, was, um, corner bars. I was that little shout out for the, the K-hole, you know, the Kettle House um, in Missoula. But I was at the Kettle House, and a bus pulled up, and all these people get off this bus. And I'm like, what the heck? They're like, we're on a bridge tour and so they were brewery hopping all through missoula and they were like we love it and you know and the, really that's, that's the way awesome. to do it oh, you know yeah. just like charter a bus and just go brewery hopping yeah I, um actually uh in 2000 was it, it was 2003 i guess i i was living in maine at the time and I, I came back to visit some friends of mine and we went on a um uh, a tour of through the Tobacco Root Mountains. Okay. You know, and so it's the Missoula to Butte loop mm-hmm. in the back. And every 10 miles, there's a little bar. So you stop and you get a drink and then you get in the car and you drive on and stop and get a drink. Da-da-da, you have a DD. <clears throat> and uh, I always thought it would be really great to get a bunch of friends together and rent one of the, do- the double-decker buses and do that. Yes. And just, you know, it's it's 110 miles. It takes you the day to do so it. So you take you the day, yeah. And you're blitzed out of your mind, but these little bars... <laughs> Would love the influx. And it, basically, you just go in there and everybody just gets a shot. And then you have like spray cheese and crackers in the bus so that you don't die. <laughs> and it's like, these are the things that you, sh- that you do in Montana that are fun. And, yeah. and they shouldn't be dangerous and they shouldn't be outlawed. And, you know, I'd love to do the Grand Brewery bus tour of the state where you hit yeah. Belt and you go to Billings and you... You Missoula and all of it, and you, sure. you know, yeah, it takes a week, and you, and at the end of it, your liver cries tears of joy. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, it'd be really cool to do that yeah. stuff. And but we have these laws in place that stop those businesses from being truly yeah. successful because we have protectionist idiots in other industries that are just obnoxious. Well, and I, I might provide some pushback to the protectionists. I think the. Um, and I, you know, and it took some conversation, but I get where the Tavern Association is coming from. When you buy a million dollar liquor, liquor license in Missoula, Montana, that's actually part of your property at that point. And so how do you protect that? Right. Well, here's, but the question uh, mm-hmm. can't be like, that's our only solution, right? So we have this problem, but is our solution that you can only sell three beers in your um, brewery until eight o'clock? And so, no. or... They're Do we control the how much? Yeah, that, that's ridiculous. and that's an issue. And so there's a difference between having a liquor license and being a brewery. And I right. think K-Hole, um, from my understanding, and I haven't had any conversation, but decided, you know, we're making it right now. And so they could really do the Big Sky model or stay as a, a, a purely local brewery. Um, 
and I think that there's a, Ellie Hill actually has um, some legislation out that I think that um, she's working on with somebody on the other side of the aisle, and um, it sounds like it's a pretty decent legislation to help out our our local breweries. So well, I would look yeah, into that. And here's the thing. Here's the thing that bothers me about the Taverner Association, and it bothers me about the way we've done our liquor licenses as well. Because Texas, Texas is a prime example of this. I can't believe they're using them as an example of good legislation, <laughs> but because they used to have a portion liquor licenses as, as well, and then they fell into the trap that we're sitting into, which is they never reapportioned based on the population mm. changes. Yeah. And so their liquor licenses became valuable, super, super valuable. And then at one point, the state just said, "No, forget this," and licenses can't be transferred. Huh. Well, if they can't be transferred, they have no value beyond one, the one person. So you just apply for a new one. Da, da, da. And so they removed the caps. They said the liquor licenses couldn't be transferred. And a bunch of people were pissed off because they treated it as real property, which, yeah. you know, of course, they, they could at that point. And went all the way to the Supreme Court. The Supreme Court said, no, it's not real property. It's a license. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so a bunch of people were out a bunch of money. And I think, you know, if we, if we do that, we'd piss off a lot of people. But there's a better way to do that is to determine the current value of them and let them have that as credits against future registrations sure. for liquor licenses. But we need to eliminate this protectionist, you know, only certain people can have liquor licenses. Because one, it's impossible to manage. And two, it's a disaster. Yeah. It's an absolute disaster. We have businesses that want to come into Helena and can't get here because they cannot get a liquor license. Sure. And the way their business is structured, it needs liquor. It's like, come on, guys. This is It's basic stuff that we can't do. Sure. And that protectionist attitude is exactly the wrong attitude to have in every single way we do things. Well... No, it's in every single way we do things. <laughs> There's a moment of hesitation. <laughs> well, there. because I can think of I can think of some you know it's sort of protectionist, but it goes back to uh, I can't believe I'm going into this discussion. You want to have a fun discussion, <laughs> Jen? Um, but it goes into it, Go it, on. it does it does tie into what you're talking with with human rights and human workers and and what we do with outsourcing jobs. One of the protectionist things that I think that we should do is require that any American company who hires somebody at a foreign level pays them at American minimum wage. Hmm. It's that simple. And the reason that I think that we should do that is because we've determined what a living wage is in this country. We sure. know exactly what it actually takes to live at a decent level where, where, you know, if I travel anywhere in this country, no matter where I am, if I'm making that same level, I should be okay. And it should be pretty consistent. And mm-hmm. there is some variation. Of course, there's New York and San Francisco, which are outrageous. But, you know, for the most part, you know, if I go to Cincinnati or if I go to Helena, it's about the same cost, you know, and it should be. Um, you know, for businesses to move manufacturing overseas and then be able to bring it in because it costs so much less because they're paying people two cents an hour. I think that's a problem, you know, and yes, it means that I wouldn't necessarily be able to get the toys that I want at the rate that I want them. I'd save up and get them anyway. Right. And I'd know that at the end of the day, I'm doing the right things. Now, do I think that that can be instantaneous? Eh, No, there's probably, it's a lot more complex than I make it out to be, but I think that's the one area where I think extending the protections we extend to workers worldwide I think that's good protectionism. Bad protectionism is where we turn around and go, well, you can't enter this industry without paying these exorbitant fees and so passing these classes. I guess that my we question would be, anymore. how do you do that? And you have a Congress that just denied UN, basically a UN standard that followed American Disability Act. So you have a, a Congress in DC that voted down. The UN said, hey, here's this little declaration. Can you sign off on it? We want ADA to be one of these human rights things, and we're going to follow your legislation. And our Congress is so scared of any overarching authority on the United States that we're like, no, 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 we're not going to sign that, even though it's our law. 
So, you know, I mean, that's you're getting into some pretty in like, no, well, that's because absolutely. we have cowards in Congress. It has nothing to do with whether the law was right or wrong. It's because we have cowards in Congress. And this is where I hope that our legislature and the legislative session that we go through this time is much more calm so that we can point out when you have a good election cycle, when you have good people in place, things get better. And we can do this on a national level by having a calm election. And the last thing they need is a bunch of idiots like me out there yelling at people, but piss us off. And that's exactly what we're going to be doing. Full disclosure. That's what's coming. Exactly. And, and, you know, I started the show and Kelsen was the first one on and she agreed to go on because she agreed with me about, you know, the last legislative session was unacceptable. Yeah. Unacceptable on on a level that really and truly everybody involved, even the people that did well, should have been taken out and spanked just so everybody felt shame. Yeah. Just so you get it. That's all there was to it. And... Um, I started the show because I wanted to have people in to discuss, you know, give them the time. Talk about what it is that you care about. Talk about the things that you're passionate about because people will find things that they relate to. They may be on the other side of the aisle, but they find out things that they relate to Yeah, because it's unacceptable what we went through. And we shouldn't be doing that anymore. And I'm doing the show and I'm very nice and I bring people in from both sides of the aisle. And I try to bite my tongue when they say things that I disagree with because... It's for them. It's for you. It's not. You know, one of the things that, and I, I know that there's, there's probably some pushback on this and some probably just some disagreement, but I actually think term limits are significantly affecting that, um, in a way that no matter what side of the aisle you have, if you have a few sessions under you, it's like you learn how, I I think that a lot of us, um, that come, you know, fresh off a campaign are really zealous to get some things. And then we realize, okay, so for instance, I am from a more urban, I'm going to say more urban (laughs) because Montana is nothing is urban, but more urban from from Missoula, right? From, (laughs) from the urban County of Missoula. Um, so I'm from Missoula and I, you know, it, it's really um, significant to understand that the policies that I might be bringing forth might have an adverse effect for some of our more rural folks. So how does that affect circle Montana? How about Shodo? And I think that that's one of the things that we learn in talking to those other legislators. But I think that that's one of the things that we learn as we become seasoned legislators. Right. And so now we're kind of truncated, I, I truncated right at the time. I think that we're getting, to Good. get how we make significant strides in decent policy for Monty. And I, and I think that that's evidence. You know, when we look at pre-term uh, election legislatures, I think that they had some great... And obviously, there's a lot of more variables that go into this conversation, but... Right, well, I, 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 was, around, I was around when that was the big contention and it got, and it got pushed. But it started with Butte. Sure. Everything in the state starts with that damn city. It's amazing. Butte America. But the reason that it started is because in Butte... Um, they had so much power, they rerouted the federal freeways. I-15 and I-90 were not going through Butte. Huh. I-15 was going through Whitehall, because it's a straight shot from here. Mm-hmm. It's, a, it's a beautiful drive. If you ever get a chance, take it. Beautiful drive. And, um, and I-90 was going Missoula to Dillon. Huh. And up. Because it's flat, it's easy. You didn't have to go through the mountain passes. Simple. And, but Butte rerouted it. Huh. And the rerouting of 90, hmm. If not that big a deal. The rerouting of 15 is a pain in the ass because the drive between Helena and Butte is a nightmare. Yeah. yeah. And, um, you know, and in the middle of winter, everybody that has to drive that, I feel for you because I've driven it many, many times and I hate it. <laughs> you drive it at 35 miles an hour and you're lucky if you don't kill yourself. Yeah. Um, but that was because they had legislators in both houses that had been there literally 50 years. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that sort of stuff is, is unacceptable. I do think that um, actually Mike Miller has a great proposal, which is to remove the you can serve 16 years in either house. 
and you can serve it completely in the same house if you want to. Yeah, Bill McChesney has a bill up there. I think yeah. that this has that. There's and a lot I, of folks actually working on term limits and how we kind of make it so we can have more efficacy. Well, and the other thing that I think they can happen, term limits are great, but I think that you can have a, a, a gap limit as well. Sure. So like if you serve 16 years, you have to, if you serve for 16 years, you have to have eight years off and then you can come back. So I don't think you lose that knowledge by taking the time off, but it gives everybody else the time. It does remove your seniority. Mm-hmm. So it removes some of the power from it, which is what we were trying to remove mm-hmm. anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so I don't think that it's a bad thing that, you know, people have to take time off from one house or the other. Sure. Um, but I do think it's bad that we throw the institutional knowledge out the window after eight years. That's Absolutely. stupid. Well, I, I think also the other thing that we need to look at is there's no turn limits on lobbyists. So right now what you've done is put a lot of power in law. And I'm not saying that all lobbyists are bad. No. But, but what you've done is you've turned the table of a power well, dynamic. And, and well, yeah. And we've given the power to the lobbyists because they they don't lose any of their institutional knowledge. Because right. they never go away. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, so hmm. those are my two cents. Might have turned out to be five cents. I'm not sure. But. A buck fifty. Dollar three eighty five. I think that's great. No, so I, it's funny because the only other piece of legislation that I want, well, I want, I want the liquor laws changed because I think that we should just have one liquor license because I think it's ridiculous for the government to ha- make delineations on liquor. We don't make delineations on what you were drinking when you get a DUI. Yeah, that's true. So it shouldn't make any difference mm. when we sold it. Mm. Just FYI. Um, the other thing is that um, just having one liquor license is easier to administrate. And if they turn around and do that and say, look, we're just going to have one liquor license. Anybody can apply for it. You do the background check. You pass. You get it. Anybody who's got one currently that has value attached to it, that becomes uh, money that you have at the Department of Revenue that you can just use as use it for your taxes, use it for your fees, whatever, for the next couple of years. So you don't actually lose the money. The mm-hmm. state will absorb the loss, mm-hmm. which is the smart way to do it. And then just say, you know, hey. Everybody gets a liquor license who wants one because then these small little restaurants can have a liquor, you know, little tiny pizza shops need to be able to sell beer. Sure. And they don't have the, th- in, in Lewis and Clark County, they don't have the $65,000 it costs to compete to get one. Sure. They just don't. And all of these businesses that, you know, like uh, Burton Arnese, the guy that owns that, he had wanted to sell it a couple of years ago. And he couldn't sell it because it didn't have a full liquor license. Hmm. You know, whereas if it had a full liquor license, he could have sold it in a day. Sure. Because it's a great location. You know, he just wanted out of the business for a while. Yeah. Great. No, sell it. I think he's actually probably happy that he didn't, but that's a whole different story. <laughs> <coughs> you know, too. so so there's that. The only other thing that I want to change is daylight savings time because it's stupid. Stupid. Well, I would just like us to have more sunlight. So if you figure that one out. Well, we can't have more, but only, 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 only crazy people in government would think that if you cut the foot off at the top of a blanket and sew it to the bottom, you get a bigger blanket. <laughs> I love that saying, but it's the truth. <laughs> but I think that we should go on to daylight savings time this spring and then stay on it forever because that's when we will have nice night. Our evenings are nice and long and our, you know, yeah, it's dark in the morning. Big deal. Nobody cares. You wake up in the morning. Only one out. Why I works until you get your first cup of coffee anyway. And then you're in your office. You're not outside. <laughs> but when you go home at night and you are alert and you'd like to go home and maybe go for a walk, it'd be nice if it, if the sun didn't go down at 3 PM in December, it went down at four. Yeah. Yeah. You know, because in the summer when it goes down at 1030, that's really nice. It's right. nice to go for a walk at the at night. Yeah. It's really cool. Yeah. You know, but then the whole, the week of productivity that we lose each time we change our clocks. <laughs> Stupid. <laughs> Stupid. The government doesn't have to be a ratchet. Hmm. That's me. Yeah, well. That's me whining. Okay. So what else have you got going Take on? You made it to Helena. Everything's good. Yeah. You're enjoying your time? I have you ever been here. here before other than when you were lobbying? Uh, not for a substantial length of time. I used to work with Girl Scouts. Mm. So there's a camp that... Apparently, they sold um, up on the pass. 
Which one is that? Camp Thunderbird. Really? Yeah. So I think that they sold it a couple of years ago. But hmm. um, yeah, when I was younger, I worked at Girl Scout camp. So Very we cool. would spend a lot of summers here, but only would come in Saturday night because that was our n- only night off. So I don't didn't have a lot of... I knew where the movie theater was and the the uh, laundromat, but that was about all. And I you had. grew up in Ronan. Grew up in Polson. Polson. Parents taught in Ronan. Uh, they put us in a different school system so that we'd actually have to <laughs> work our heinies off for grades. <laughs> <laughs> and that works. And then you were studying music. I was initially. My first two years was as a vocal performance major. And then, yeah, stopped school for about six or seven years. Don't know what that works out to be. And then started as a poli-sci major. Hmm. Yeah. Cool. Very cool. Yeah. Very interesting. And now you ended up a legislator. Right. I'm not, how far the mighty have fallen. Oh, gosh. <laughs> indeed. Indeed. That's cool. Well, I do think it's interesting that you were in, um, you are a pastor, because I think that'll give you some better... Standing, I think, with some of the crazies on the other side. I'm thinking, of course, of Harris Himes. I don't know if you've dealt with him yet. You know, I don't. I heard he was wandering around that Capitol last week. So. I haven't seen him. Um, I don't know. I don't know. I I, I think that I'm going to have such um, disparate votes from the folks that would traditionally align with faiths like mine that I'm not sure that it actually give me a lot more credibility. Um, for instance, I had, you know, just for my own core um, values, I had to vote against a bill that was framed as um, protecting unborn children and uh, pregnant women. And, you know, at the end of the day, I just didn't see a lot of protection for women in it. And I, what I saw was taking away a, basically a constitutional right of a woman's right to privacy and choice. And those are some core values that I have. Um, and I don't feel that those conflict with my Christian faith. Um, but I, I, I a lot of I've gotten a lot of pushback on how can you be a Christian and a Democrat and how and this so it's funny because my church community is like okay so h- how can you be a Democrat in fact I got a I got a Facebook message so you believe in gay marriage and killing babies and and it was from not one at of the my... same event <laughs> <laughs> it's it, so hard to time it right because you step so on the glass and then administer then it's the like gays having babies you know I just don't know <laughs> um, but it was you know, this is one of um, one of my dear friends from where my childhood town from the church. And I'm like, you know, you and I are not going to agree on this. So let's just not have this conversation. And, and that's hard to do over Facebook because, you know, how do you like type out like, hey, I really wish if, if you were sitting across from me, you and I could have this conversation. But I'm not going to have this over an email conversation with you. And so it's been really hard, both from my faith community and then somewhat from the Democrats saying, you know, I have a, I had a lot of questions about my stance on choice issues um, running as a Democrat. And they said, you know, we're kind of concerned about your faith background. Where do you stand on choice? And I'm like, NARAL endorsed me. What, what, more, what more do you want here? Um, so it's been, um, to answer your question, I'm not sure that it gives me a lot of quote unquote street cred to be a person of faith. And on the other side of the on the other side of the aisle, so yeah, I love that street cred with the church, right? Yeah, street cred. And <laughs> make the sign of the cross. <laughs> tap your <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's brilliant. Um, I, I don't know. I think it does. I think one of the things that needs to happen with faith is they've got to remember that um, 
if, you know, that they're all upset about Obamacare because they're like, well, it tramples on our religious freedom. And it's like, well, okay, maybe in some little ways it kind of does. But the reason we don't allow human sacrifice in religions is because we trample on religious freedoms. Yeah, but so does car insurance. Right. I mean, I'm mandated to have car insurance because but if I hit tra- you. That's not trampling your religious freedom. No, but it's trampling my freedom. And I think that those are the, some of the same arguments. Right. Um, well, and I, I think the biggest one in religion is, you know, we don't allow you to sacrifice a child. Yeah. You don't get to kill your daughter if she's dead. Yeah. You know, in Leviticus, it's right there. Mm-hmm. You can kill your daughter. No, you can't. No, they do that in Saudi Arabia. Right. And, um, and the reason that we say no is because we realize that those beliefs are completely out of whack with modern society. Yeah. And um, get over it. Yeah. You know, I'll buy you a box of Lincoln Logs, build you a little bridge, yeah. and you can get over yeah. it. <laughs> you know, I think that there's um, there's a lot of – here's where I come from. I think there's a lot of personal conviction than folks. Um, and I think that, you know, for instance, the representative that was bringing up the um, protection of an unborn child, there's a – you know, he has integrity. I think his heart's in the right place. It's just that I'm coming from a completely different filtered, a completely different angle. And does that mean that his integrity is not there because he and I disagree? Absolutely not. But my lens that I'm looking at this is actually probably a little bit more libertarian than even he is of I have no right to infringe on that right. And so when we talk about access to healthcare for women and employer decisions and religion, if you are going to offer a policy, and I don't care if you're a Catholic hospital or a pharmacist or et cetera, et cetera, there are things that because you provide a service in the United States, you can't infringe upon the right of, of another, you know, the best way I look at it. And I figured this out a couple of months ago is religious is an internal right. Religion right. it is your right to practice right. for yourself. Everything else are external rights. Right. And you don't get to take an internal right and infringe it on anyone right. else. If you can't do a job because of your internal right, don't take that job. Right. right. You know, that's all there is to it. If you are a pharmacist who cannot dispense uh, you know, the morning after pill because of your religious sure. beliefs, you aren't a pharmacist. Right. And you shouldn't hold that job. Yeah, that's it's a, it's a it. tough quandary. No, it's not. It's very easy. Yeah, it, it, it's, it's it's uncomfortable for people, but it's actually really easy. <laughs> That's the thing, you know. It, and I look at the world in a lot of ways. We make very complex issues out of something that is really pretty cut and dried. If you can't do something because of your beliefs, don't do it. But that means you can't do the other things that are related to it as well. Sure. Sorry. Sure. If if your if your belief is stronger than your ability to do the job in this uncomfortable situation, you don't get to do that right. job. You know, that's why I don't hold certain jobs. Well, and I think that that's why, you know, even as a Christian, I think that um, I was raised in, you know, there are black and whites and it's either an absolute truth or it's not an absolute truth. And I think with, with, yeah, and with experience and a little bit more of age, um, I just determined that we have a pretty gray world. And so when you come at that with such a black and white approach um, from being, you know, the pharmacist who really has some strong religious and faith based convictions, you're coming at it from a completely different, like, well, you're infringing upon my right. And right. so instead of looking at the world like, okay, how how do we tweak this? We have a, a lot of people just clashing heads, clashing ideology. Um, and thank God for the Supreme Court. <laughs> just in a way that I just, you know, I... Um, the thing is, is that we all have a right to the pursuit of happiness, right? Until it infringes upon somebody else's pursuit. And I think that that's at the core of it. 
that's where we have to be. Am I infringing right. upon your pursuit? Right. And we're going to have, there's going to be times when rights come into conflict. We, we knew that. That's the Bill of Rights conflicts right. with itself several times. Right. That's going to happen. But we have to approach those calmly. And we have to realize that in some cases, it means that you can't do that. And in some cases, it means you can, you know, that, depending on whatever that is. You know, that's how it goes. Uh, and it's not going to be comfortable for these people who are going to realize that they cannot discriminate against the gays just because you don't like what we do in our bedroom. Right. Even though you've been watching it, Utah. That state and its porn consumption. It's amazing. Anyway. <laughs> <coughs> On that note. <laughs> On that note. Okay, let's tell everybody how they can... Oh, I brought this up with Nick. I'll bring this up with you. Um, and I'll bring this up until everybody does it. Legislative Services needs to include your Twitter handles and your oh, Facebook that's a great idea. on your profiles. That's a great idea. Yeah. Yeah. So they also should be they also should be the legislative tweets page where they can just pull it up and see the list of everybody everything yeah, that you guys nice. have been tweeting out. That yeah, would be great. That'd be nice. Anyway, just a suggestion. You should put it out there. But for those people who have not found that because it's not on the website yet, let's let them know. If they need to get a hold of you, of course, they can look on the Legislative Services page, which I'll include a link to. Um, are you on Twitter? I am. And your tweet Twitter handle At is? At Jennifer Gursky with one N. Jennifer Gursky, one N. And then... Uh, you have a Facebook page? I do. We'll it's, put a link to that. Yep. So you can get a hold of them and you have a website too, yes? Uh, yes. Oh, it has not update. been updated since the campaign, however. Mm, all right. Then we'll, well, we won't that's put a, a good link lesson. to it. Yeah, okay. Uh, uh, whatever. I think that everybody who ran for office, I think you know, that's the other thing. That, that should be part of political practices because websites are effectively signs. If you aren't going to do anything with your elected position, it should be changed to a thank you note. <laughs> oh, that's that's good. You know, just put up a, you know, thanks to everybody who helped mm-hmm. help get me elected. Mm-hmm. Here's how you can get a hold of me, follow me, more information to come sure. if I can update the site. That's great. You know, consider it a campaign sign. Yeah. Get it together, people. Get yeah. it together. <laughs> well, thank you for being on the show. I know that taking an hour out of your very busy schedule in the middle of the session, or day 11 of the session, I guess, is uh, a lot to ask of anyone, but I really appreciate that you came on the show. It's my pleasure. And, um, you know, the invitation's open to you anytime if you want to come back and talk about any of the issues as they come up throughout the session. Great. Medical marijuana it is. Oh, that'll be fun. <laughs> that'll be awesome. I Thanks, look forward Dan. to it. Thanks, Jen. Politics and film.